Okay. As you know, we've been uh, looking at the Gospel of John. The last few weeks, um, we have uh, continued to review a few things here and there. Of course, you know, as, as each week we have new people in class, or perhaps somebody that's tuning in online and hasn't been in before. And we know John is one of the four Gospels that, that describe the life of Christ uh, from, from uh, some of the disciples' po- viewpoints, right? And we know John is a very, uh, eh, I guess I would say special Gospel. It, it, it's different than the other three, right? The other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call it synoptics because they are kind of similar. And John's very unique in that it's in the style of writing. Uh, many of the events that are mentioned in John you don't read about in the other Gospels. Uh, so it's very different. And we know specifically why John was written. John tells us, right? John tells us in John chapter 20. We're going to read that again as we do each week. John chapter 20 and verse, uh, verse 30. Read it with me. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. You know, we live in a very, uh, I hate to be so down, Debbie Downer today, but we live in a very cynical and dark world, don't we? A world that has abandoned God, abandoned righteousness. Man has sought out his own way, has sought out his own selfish goals and, and his own gain. And so, day to day, it gets to be hard, doesn't it? You know, we have a lot of pressure from the people around us. You know, we go to work and we have people that we know are not living in a righteous way and not living in the way God says we should be living. And we have to deal with that. We have to live in it. We can't be taken out of the world. But we know, we know we obey a righteous God. We know we, uh, we have faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And because of that, we have life. We have life in this world, in this earth, and we have life and everlasting to come. And we can take great comfort, great comfort in that. Um, last week we talked, we, we asked the question that was also asked from Jesus of the, of the apostles. You know, do you want to go away? Jesus was uh, doing some things that were amazing people, right? He fed 5,000 with two fish and five loaves of barley. And the people were amazed. And there are a lot of folks following him around, right? But a lot of those folks were not so much following him around to hear what he had to say, but because they were getting fed, right? Their need was being met. And that's a wonderful thing, but Jesus knew that. And then when he would say things about who he was, that he was the bread of life, that if they would eat of him and drink of his blood, they could have eternal life. It didn't make sense to them, and so a lot of them quit following after that, right? A lot of them fell away from him. And Jesus asked, do you want to go away as well? And let's go read what Peter had to say. Turn back over to John chapter 6, and let's just look at that. Verse 66 of John chapter 6. Let's begin there. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answers them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for, who, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. Here we have a dialogue between Jesus and the disciples. He says, These folks are leaving me. Y'all want to go too? Or y'all with me? And Peter says, You are the only one who has life. You are the true Son of God. Where else are we going to go? To whom else shall we go? So Peter answered him and said, said this, Where are you going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Well, last week we also talked a little about other, th- other places we could go, right? What other places could we go to seek out answers, to seek truth? Um, we talked about one was the majority, right? Uh, you know, we have things occur, things come around. We call them fads sometimes, right? Or things change in the world and everybody's got to do it, right? Everybody's got to get something. Remember the time, first time you got one of these? Remember the first time you got one of these phones? I know the younger, any younger folks in here, that's, it's probably a little different than you, than us older folks. I mean, I, I spent the first 35, 36 years without a cell phone. Never knew I needed one, right? I mean, I had a phone. Well, actually, I had several. Had one by my bed. Had one sitting by my couch in my den. Had one in my kitchen. I had a phone. Why did I need a cell phone for? You know? <clears throat> then one day we were at the mall, and there was one of those singular kiosks over there, and we said, well, everybody else is getting one. I guess we got to get one, too. And we did. Right? You remember that the first time you got one? You don't have one yet. Well, that's good then. Well, flip top. Uh, yeah, and that phone I had back then was one of those big brick things, you know. Couldn't text on it. Couldn't look at your sports scores. Couldn't look at your bank account. You can only make calls on it. And, you know, for the first couple of years I had it, the only call I ever made was to call Jolene home until I was on my way home from work. And the only calls I ever got, well, there was two people that would call me. Well, two calls I would get. One from Jolene saying, when are you coming home from work? And the other was somebody calling for Mr. Upshaw. I guess Mr. Upshaw had my phone number for it, and they kept calling him wanting to get a hold of him. And I said, you got the wrong number. I got so irritated with that. I got so many of those calls. It's unbelievable. Yeah, what did I need that for? I didn't need it. But you know what? Everybody else had one. So I felt the pressure. We felt the pressure to get one. We had to get one because everybody else was doing it, right? And, of course, when I started getting the bill, I wasn't too happy about that. It was just a bunch of extra money I was having to fork out every month for the thing I didn't really need. So we do a lot of things, don't we? We do a lot of stuff because everybody else is doing it. Peer pressure is a tough thing to resist, isn't it? Yet the majority is not always right, are they? What everybody else is doing is not always the thing to do. In fact, if you think about our world right now, what's our world doing, spiritually speaking? I mean, Christians are in the minority, big time, right? We're fighting an uphill battle. It's not something that's looked on by the world as being favorable. So we have to be careful of that. We talk about following the wisdom of men, right, and how how the wisdom of men is foolishness compared to the wisdom of God. 
Man thinks he knows so much, yet it's nothing compared to what God does. In fact, we talked about how the gospel is foolishness to men, right? It's silly. And God used that foolishness to save man. Used that silly idea of sending his son to die for men. Why would anybody do that? Pure love of our God. We talked about the fact that you, a lot of people will follow preachers, you know, with provocation of preachers. Well, he's a preacher, you know. He's got to know what he's talking about. Or we follow uh, our feelings, our conscience, right? Whatever we think is right. That's what we think we should do. You know, we get a certain idea about something. Oh, I think this is it, or I think that is it. No basis, no standard. Yet we follow these things, right? And they lead us in the wrong direction. We talked about the only place we can go to is Jesus Christ. That's it. He is the Son of God, as Peter said, and the other apostles wrote about in the New Testament. He is truly the food that leads to eternal life. Well, the gospel is designed to create our faith, to increase our faith, and, G- and, and that's done through Jesus, and, and where, where faith in G- Him is increased by reading the gospels, reading through the word. But we also read about there are folks that didn't believe in the gospels, right? If you look over there at John chapter 1, let's read a verse there. John chapter 1 and verse 11. Actually, let's start with 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. They didn't receive him. We just read in verse 66 that many of his disciples followed him no more. They didn't believe. They did not believe in who he was. Let's turn over to chapter 7 there in John and read some verses from that for our text today. Chapter 7, verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of the tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for even his brothers did not believe him. Then Jesus said to them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify it that its works are evil. You go up to this feast. I'm not yet going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. And when he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. All right. So here we have an example, right? We have an example of Jesus' blood brothers who did not believe he was who he said he was. Wow. Why is that? Why wouldn't they believe? They raised with him. They heard his speaking. They saw miracles that he was doing. They were with him. Turn over to Psalm chapter 69. Let's read a prophecy there. I want to read that. Very interesting prophecy. Psalm 69. And by the way, if you didn't know that, Psalms is a book of prophecy, not just, not just a bunch of songs written by David. 
is the book of prophecy. Psalm chapter 69, verse 1. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my rock, my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. They are mighty who would destroy me. Bring my enemies wrongfully. Though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. O God, you know my foolishness and my sins are not hidden from you. Let not those who wait for you, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed because of me. Let not those who seek you be confounded because of me, O God of Israel, because for your sake I have borne reproach. Shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. Who is this? David, right? He's been alienated by his brothers. He's being shorned by his mother's children, by those who are around him, those who know him. And of course, David's sin, he's, 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 he's repenting, he's, he's lamenting it. But we see where those in our own family can reject us. And this is a foreshadowing, right? David was a foreshadowing of the Christ to come. Not the sin part, but who he was. Man after God's own heart, right? So, we understand that Jesus was going to be in the same situation, that those in his own family, those in his own nation, the Jews, would not receive him. But eventually, these brothers did believe. And we're glad to know that. Turn over to Acts chapter 1. Let's just read about that. Acts chapter 1. And let's begin in verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath, day, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they entered, they went up into the upper room where they, were, where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Celad, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So apparently, the brothers had changed. Uh, they had changed and become believers in who he was. Well, what's going on here? What, why did they not believe in the first place? And then what changed them? They had seen the miracles. They had known him as well as anyone, right? I mean, most of you have brothers and sisters, right, that you grew up with. They know you pretty well, don't they? And they know your good things. They know your bad things. And yet sometimes we don't treat each other or our own family very well, do we? We don't accept them. We don't agree with them. And perhaps that's just because they're in our family. Why does that happen? Well, let's look at that. Why did the brothers not believe? Turn over to Matthew chapter 13. Let's read verses from there. Matthew chapter 13, let's begin in uh, uh, 53. Verse 53 of Matthew 13. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. And when he had come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogues so that they were astonished and said, 
Where did this man get his wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where did, the, where did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Here we have it, the example right there. These people have known him since he was a lad. They didn't believe. They're going, what is going on here? That's not that dude. That's not him. Come on, he, he can't be who he says he is. You ever heard the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt? And that, that's very true in some cases, isn't it? Very true. I mean, think about your spouses. You ever get tired of living with your spouse? Oh, I know I, I shouldn't be saying that, should I? Shouldn't be saying that. You ever get tired of it? You ever need to get away for a little while? Not that you would do that. Have you ever thought it? Yeah. People living together and knowing each other is a good thing and it's wonderful and God has provided such a great um, blessing with our families to belong to a group, to belong to like-minded people, just like here in the church. But we get tired of each other at times, don't we? And sometimes because of that, we tend not to believe what they might say. That's not the way you were 10 years ago. What are you, what are you talking about? You weren't raised that way. What are you talking about? Hmm. This may have been a hindrance to the brothers as well. It's also a hindrance among prophets, right? Many times prophets in the Old Testament were speaking to deaf ears. They had to go elsewhere. Even... Paul and the apostles had to do that a few times. Get away. They weren't going to listen. Perhaps they were blinded by envy, jealousy, right? Back there in Matthew, let's go back there in Matthew 12 and just read something there. Matthew 12, verse uh, 46. While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. And then one said to him, Look, your mother and brother, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But they couldn't get to him because there was a crowd. He was very popular at that moment, and it made it hard for his family to get to even speak to him. So perhaps there was a little jealousy involved there. Perhaps that was hindering their belief. Come on. We need to get to him. I, I, I can't believe this. That, that can't be right. He's not so great. He's just a guy in our family. Who, who is he? Right? Perhaps we're blinded by a preconceived notion. Something that they already thought about him. Right? Preconception. Ideas they had that they had a hard time overcoming. John chapter 6. Verse 15, let's read there. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. You see, many of the Jews perceived him to come 
and be a king on earth. The Messiah to be a king on earth. They had a different notion about who the Messiah was to be. Not just his brothers, but many of the Jews. So perhaps they were blinded by that. And there, there we just read in our text in John 7 that the brothers were saying, you need to be doing something. You need to be doing something about this. Not just speaking, not just hanging out here. If you're who you are, then you need to go up and proclaim it and be the king. They had certain expectations of what they understood the, uh, the Old Testament to mean, what, what they understood from the prophets. Well, what's this do for us today? Do we let things like familiarity blind us to the truth? Do we just out and out reject things that we hear that we don't agree with? You know, truth can come from many different places, actually. Some, perhaps, with not good intentions. Turn over to Philippians. Let's read a verse, a few verses from the letter of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, and verse 15. This is Paul. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. You see, the gospel can be preached by someone who has ulterior motives. Personal gain. Selfish ambition. Do we have preachers like that today? Who are preaching Christ out of selfish ambition? Trying to get rich? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All you got to do is turn your TV on and you'll see that. Yeah. But Paul says, that's okay. It's not okay that they're doing that, but it's okay that the gospel is being preached because I praise God when the gospel is preached. But we do have to look at that, don't we? We do have to try to perceive it, right? Not let familiarity, not let our own jealousy, our own envy get in the way. Do we ever let preconceptions obstruct our view of the truth? Rejecting a view of teaching simply because we never heard it before. I would say most of you were probably going to church when you were very young, right? And you were taught a certain way, a certain understanding of Scripture, and that was a good thing. That's the way it should have been. But we can get certain concept, preconceptions perhaps even from that, right? that we have to be careful. If we hear something that we don't necessarily agree with, are we open to go look at the Scripture and see what the Scripture actually says about it? We have to be careful about that too, don't we? We can't just believe everything we were taught 20 years ago. Now, I'm not saying we don't have the truth, and I'm not saying we can't live faithfully in what we're taught, what we've been raised with, what we know, 
but we do have to have an open mind, right? Continuing to grow daily. Continuing to seek out the Scripture. Remember in Acts 17, the Bereans, what did they do? They heard preaching and they went to the Scripture to see if what they were saying was true. To see if the Scripture agreed with what was being taught. So we have to be careful. We can't discount everything just because we have a preconception, just because we were taught a certain way, can we completely rule everything out? We need to have an open mind about that. Well, what caused these brothers to finally believe? What changed them? They obviously didn't believe at the beginning. We're told that in several places. And then all of a sudden in Acts, we read about the fact that they were there. They were there in the upper room. They were there at the ascension. Something changed. What was it? Let's turn over to Acts chapter 12. Read a couple of verses there. Verse 16. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. And as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers of what had become of Peter. But when he heard to search for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. So here we have James is now a pillar of the church. He's uh, a great servant. And, Paul, uh, and, and, he's, and they're told to go tell him about the fact that uh, they've been released. We also read about James... In his letter, right? That's the brother James who wrote it. Jude, we read about, we read his letter, right? Jude wrote that. That's his brother as well. And according to history, James was even martyred for his faith. What changed them? What changed these guys? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's read. Beginning in verse 1. 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, He was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater... And the greater part remained to be to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen by James and then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born, by one born out, of, out of due time. Jesus appeared to James. When? After he was resurrected. After he had been crucified. After he had risen from the dead. You see, this resurrection thing kind of changed things. I've said this many times before, the resurrection is the game changer, right? If Jesus just died, he's just another guy that claimed something and died. Those come around all the time, don't they? But something happened here. Something was different. You see, miracles can be faked, right? Oh yeah, it's amazing to think about it, but Remember back when Moses was before the Pharaoh? The first few 
things he did. The sorcerers are able to come in and make it look like they did them too. Things like that can be fake. So, so I guess in a way you can see an amazing sign and still have doubt, right? And of course we got, we got magicians everywhere, right? You know, we know that's not real. There's a trick to it. And it can be again kind of amazing how they can do it, right? Come on, how do they do that, you know? But it's fake. But you ever seen a magician raise somebody from the dead? Kind of hard to do that, isn't it? Not something you'd really fake. You see, this resurrection shattered their blinders. The resurrection shattered their preconceptions, shattered the idea of familiarity. Never seen that before. Something that changed. And that's something that's there for us as well. We know he was raised again. We know he is now reigning in his kingdom, the kingdom that we are part of on earth. So it's a blessing for us, is it not? I mean, we can understand why one might find the gospel a little incredible, right? I mean, a man born of a virgin? What? A man who is a son of God? Come on. A man who calmed the sea, who walked on the water, who fed the 5,000, healed the sick, made the blind to see, who himself raised people from the dead. I guess you could find that incredible enough to where you don't believe it, right? You say, that's crazy. But when it comes to the resurrection, you've got to ask yourself, who did it? How did that happen? What changed the brothers? Tober, book of Acts again. Let's read Acts chapter 10. Beginning of verse 39. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. We have witnesses. We have people who were witnesses to his resurrection, who ate with him, drank with him afterwards. He was dead. And there's no doubt he was dead. I don't care what anybody tries to tell you. And raised again. Remember what happened when he was taken prisoner? What happened to the disciples? What happened to the twelve? They started out, didn't they? They were scared. They were looking to flee. They were afraid they were going to start rounding them up too, right? What did Peter do when he was asked, Hey, hey, he was standing by the fire. You, you were with him. No, 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 I don't, I don't know him. I don't know that. No, I don't know that dude. I don't know that guy. Remember that? What Jesus prophesied about. Here we have the man who just said, Who else are we going to go to? You are the Christ. Son of the living God. Yet, in the end, his faith was faltering. His faith was waning. It wasn't until that resurrection 
that they finally got it. That they truly got it. That they were truly transformed into the most amazing missionaries that have ever lived on the face of the earth. Not only them, but the brothers of Jesus. Here we have the guys that were raised with him, knew him more intimately probably than anyone besides the mother. They got changed. That resurrection did it. They didn't believe. They out and out did not believe before. It weren't like the disciples who were saying he was the son of God. It weren't like them that said, we're here and the only one we can go to. They didn't believe him. They were telling him, well, if you're the Messiah, go up there on the mountain and make a big deal about it. Proclaim it to everyone. But they believe now. They got changed. Well, what's that do for us? We have doubts, don't we? Things creep in, right? We'll sit here and say, I believe absolutely, but sometimes things creep in, don't they? Something happens in our lives that's not good. And we might think, where's God now? Why is this happening? I've been trying to live a faithful life and I'm what I'm going through is ridiculous. Why is this? We have the examples of the brothers did the same thing. And yet, because of that resurrection, they became pillars of the church. The unbelief of Jesus' brother serves us as a warning how easily we can be blinded by things, familiarity, envy, preconceptions, and how carefully we need to give to the hearing of the word, to the reading of the word, to the studying of the scripture, understanding what the Lord has to say. But man, do we have a wonderful blessing in the example of Jesus' brother. They didn't believe, man. They didn't believe... They were just like this world today, cynical, dark, thinking Christianity is foolishness, silly. But their eventual conversion implies something, doesn't it? It implies an overwhelming evidence of Jesus' resurrection because that's the only thing that could change them. We have that example for us. Since we believe in Jesus through the words of men, because he's not here physically with us, we can't see him like they did, we have only eyewitness accounts, but we have them. They have been provided and they have been preserved for how long? Well, the New Testament, over 2,000 years, right? And the stuff from the Old Testament, even longer. How has that happened? Did that just happened? No. God has revealed it to us, and he's providing for us. And we have a wonderful example of those who walked with him, who ate with him before and after his death. And their lives were extremely changed. So as I've been saying the last few Sundays, we're in a new year. What greater time, I know there is no greater time than right now, to be making that commitment to increase your faith, to be in the Word, to be in prayer. Um, this world and this nation 
needs prayer more than any other time. I know, I know you can say that any Sunday, but man, do we need prayer. Do we need God? So make a commitment. Make that commitment to increase your faith, folks. It's easy to get caught up in our day-to-day lives, you know, our work, our school, whatever that is. But make the commitment to put Him first, to be in His Word first. I know I'm just as guilty as anybody else. I need to do it too. We all need to be making a commitment to be examples for the one true God who sent His Son to die for us, who was raised and is now reigning in His kingdom. And then we get to look forward to that one day when he says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. Can you think of anything more joyful than that? More joyous than that? I can't, and I hope you can't either. All right, our time is up. Thanks for being here.